Oh my God. We dropped our very first podcast on Monday, March 11th, then Tuesday, March 12th, the story breaks on the largest college admission scandal in history. Welcome to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. And boy, do we have a good one today. I'm Chris Reeves, and I'm here with Joel Ford. We are both public high school counselors and both former ACT Test Center and ACT Accommodation Site Supervisors and Proctors. I've also been an SAT Test Center and Accommodation Supervisor. These roles will be relevant shortly. Just as a reminder, Chris is on the NACAC Board of Directors. Remember, NACAC is the National Association for College Admission Counseling. NACAC is the authority on college admissions and houses our industry's code of ethics. I am a member of NACAC's Affiliate President's Council and the NACAC Assembly, which reviews and votes on those code of ethics. These roles will also be relevant shortly. Joel, I never played a college sport, but that's only because ping pong in the basement of Taylor Tower at Ohio State wasn't sanctioned, nor did it offer any recruiting advantage in admissions, which is also relevant today. I also never played a college sport when I attended Western Kentucky University, unless you count co-ed church league volleyball, which I would consider semi, semi, semi-pro. I don't know, Joel. I count that. I count that. I don't think so. I do. I do. Uh, to begin, Joel and I, instead of reacting quickly, like most news sources and Facebook message group, decided to get our news from the source. We spent last week reading the 204-page affidavit in support of criminal complaints written by a special agent by the Federal Bureau of Investigation who is, and I quote, empowered by law to conduct investigations of and to make arrests for offenses enumerated in Title 18, United States Code, Section 1349. But it's important to note also that the affidavit, according to the special agent, does not include, quote, each and every fact known to me about this investigation. Rather, I, the special agent, um, I have included only those facts that I believe are sufficient to establish probable cause, end quote. So as big as this story has become, we may very well not know the extent of how much evidence there truly is at this point in time. So my friend and colleague, let's break this down, unpack this scandal, Piece by piece. But before you start, let me let me tell you, I started, I read an article yesterday, uh, found out how it all started, found out how the, uh, the tip began. There was a guy getting investigated for securities violations, not even connected to all of this. And as he's getting, as he's getting questioned, he says something to the effect of, uh, so I've got some information I think you might like to know. This is the person where it all began. It's... Uh, FBI got involved. They they went after the the Yale soccer coach. The Yale soccer coach then agreed to cooperate. The FBI got permission to then wiretap Singer's phone. They wiretapped his phone for the summer, listened to all of his conversations, and then presented those conversations to Rick Singer, who then agreed to cooperate. And we'll get into more of that later. But uh, Joel, let's unpack this. So if you're listening to the podcast, you probably know at least part of the story. Sorry. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know at least part of the story. But let's do a quick review of the main charges in the case. One, there is a charge where there were bribes to college entrance exam administrators to facilitate cheating on college entrance exams. 
Two, there were bribes to varsity coaches and administrators at primarily elite universities to designate certain applicants as recruited athletes or as other favorite candidates, thereby, thereby facilitating the applicant's admission to those universities. And three, there was the use of creating the facade of a charitable organization to conceal the nature and source of the bribe payments. That's sick, man. Like I said earlier before we started, I wish I could cuss in this podcast, but I guess I won't for now. All right, let's learn the players. Okay. Rick Singer, referred to as CW1, Cooperating Witness 1, already pled guilty in hopes of leniency in sentencing. No deal has been struck beyond that. I interpret that as, you know, we'll see what we can do. Right. And he says... Well, better thanks. than nothing. Better than, which is exactly better than nothing. The test taker is CW2, Mark Riddle. Maybe Riddell? I don't know. Has also flipped, hoping for leniency. Finally, the Yale head women's soccer coach, CW3, has flipped. And that's a $4,000 check that probably felt better at the time. Oh, yes. A $400,000 check that probably felt better at the time. Then you've got 32 parents that have been charged. You have 12 other people who include coaches, singers, quote-unquote staff, test center supervisors, the president of a tennis camp, and one person who took online classes for a student to improve uh, the student's transcript. The final two players are the Edge College and Career Network, LLC, also known as the Key, and the Key Worldwide Foundation a 501c3 uh, that was created allegedly, quote, as a foundation for underserved kids. When you read the the affidavit, did you notice that he never said that right? In every conversation, he called called his organization a a 5013, a 501c, a 5013c, which which just, just, that killed me, that he couldn't even get the proper type of organization for his illegal organization for his illegal organization right. where you can pay and write off on your taxes we'll get to that uh, think about that payments used to bribe proctors and coaches or anyone else go directly to a nonprofit and subsequently a tax deduction for the wealthy let me tell you what this affidavit's like man well you've read it but i want to tell our listeners sure. what the affidavit's like it's a soap opera i mean wiretaps email and text exchanges once singer flipped Recorded phone and face-to-face conversations that he knew about used to obtain what amounts to confessions. Uh, you, you wouldn't believe what people sound like when they don't think anyone's listening. And I think what's, what was interesting to me, you know, when we took it upon ourselves to, to read this affidavit, I really thought it was going to be 204 pages of legal jargon. And honestly... Maybe the first 15 pages right, right, yeah. are, are the, the legalities, the charges, the defining who the players are and that sort of thing. The other 200 pages or 100 and however many pages, those are all the transcripts of the conversations and the wiretaps that you oh, were mentioning. Great. So it just plays out like a soap opera. It's awesome. Like, like I, you can see these conversations happening as you're reading this text. I know we're on a college admissions podcast, but I am completely entrapped by this case. I mean, I can't. I, I couldn't stop reading it. Um, I, I hope my principal doesn't listen. I probably spent three or four hours in the last week or so, like during school time, like in between appointments, reading, reading and, it. I couldn't let it go. And if you if you simply Google Varsity Blues affidavit, 
it comes up. Nice. Uh, instantly. Do it. Instantly. So if you want some good reading, uh, definitely check out this you, affidavit. You told me it was the best reading you've had I mean, in two years. I mean, really. I mean, it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, one other thing to, to mention before we take a, a quick break and begin to take things apart. So as we mentioned before, NACAC houses the Code of Ethics and pro, uh, Professional Practices, the CEPP, um, which is the Code of Ethics for College Admissions. Um, when the scandal came out, Joyce Smith, CEO of NACAC, um, had, had a message that she gave to members, which uh, I want to read parts of uh, today for the podcast. We understand too well the pressures that can be brought to bear on the admission process on both the post-secondary and secondary sides and from both inside and outside our institutions. The scandal also draws into stark relief the role of wealth and privilege in college admission and in our society in general. While this week's news reveals an extreme case where the indicted individuals are accused of trying to influence admission decisions in a clearly illegal way, we know that wealthy people have always enjoyed many legal advantages in the process such as the ability to pay for tutoring, test preparation, and application coaching, or for the truly wealthy to make sizable donations, fund scholarships, or endow buildings or faculty seats. And we know that economic status affects one's educational choices at every stage of life. This case also sheds light on what some have called the commodification of higher education, where gaining admission to a selective institution becomes the goal itself, and prestige and status matter most of all and where securing bragging rights becomes more important than finding the college or university that is the best fit for the student's life and career plans. Parents and students alike need to understand that college is not a commodity to be bought or sold, and that there are deeply rooted phenomena in our culture that allow wealth to be used to preserve privilege, particularly in areas that are public goods, such as education. We recognize that the shameful behavior revealed in these high-profile indictments is not common, most colleges work diligently to admit and serve the full range of applicants, and NACAC's members remain committed to integrity within the admission process. We also recognize that colleges and universities can be large operations comprising many different divisions that, by necessity, rely on trust and respect in their dealings with one another. Whatever the structure, our members assume that we can trust the council and recommendations of other campus representatives on prospective students and their unique talents or abilities and we assume our colleagues throughout the institution work with the same values, integrity, and ethics as we do. The problems associated with wealth and privilege in our country have been well understood and require comprehensive solutions that focus not only on educational inequities, but also extend well outside of higher education. Our hope is that this extreme case will inspire discussion among stakeholders across our country, including policymakers, university presidents, administrators, and others about fairness and equity in higher education in general and the college admission process in particular. These issues require the input of a wide range of persons of different perspectives so that we can better understand the scope and realities. Our members' voices will be vital as this conversation proceeds. So that's the word from one of the leading voices in college admissions, trust. We tell it to our kids. We tell it to our students. It's one of those things that is really easy to lose and really hard to build. And, and that'll be a common theme that, that comes throughout this. Um, have you ever had so much to do, you didn't know where to start? Um, it's, it's that overwhelming feeling that causes you to just stop, turn on Netflix for the evening. Lucky for you, Joel and I didn't no, do that. No, we did not. We did not do that. Uh, we're going to unpack this piece by piece. Remember that part where we used to run ACT and SAT sites? 
Let's break this down. But before that, quickly, I want to ask, what were the parents buying? Let's do a let's do a quick cost benefit analysis. And here in my mind are are the costs. Financially, three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars is is pretty much an average. You'll see news articles talk about a couple million, and that's that's the one person who did this or. Georgetown or Yale schools like that were a little more expensive, but but on average, three hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollars. Another cost, and and I, I might even use cost and risk as as the same thing, but betraying your child's trust in most cases is is the risk of getting caught there. Uh, and we didn't mention this, but if you do read the affidavit, most of these kids did not know what was going on. Their parents were doing this really behind their backs. We'll get into that, too. I, I, yes, they did. They went to great lengths to hide it from their kids. Mm-hmm. But if you're a kid and all of a sudden you get two days to take an ACT, I don't know how you can't well, figure that true out. Too. But, but they did go to great lengths to hide this from their kids. Another cost, uh, your morals, if they had any, knowing that you cheated to win. And, and you know, I, I think in some ways it's easy for all of us to look at this group of people and just, you know, call them the scum of society. But, but some of the conversations, the parents were a little bit worried. They felt like maybe this is or isn't the right thing, and they ultimately chose the wrong thing. Right. But it did weigh in their minds. And morals, ethics, it's all a spectrum. We've all made decisions we should or shouldn't have made. Uh, at the same time, uh, they, they, that was one of their costs, to know that they chose something they shouldn't have. Uh, breaking the law will have inherent risk, and several people knew Good and well, especially the attorneys on the list. I was going to say there were some attorneys that were that were questioning, you know, what's what's legal, what's not legal. Am I going to get caught? Um, or or a line that said a, a quote that we won't pull out from the text, but basically, if this comes out, it's going to be front page news. Right. And I'm reading it, thinking yep. well, that's the smartest thing you've done today. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, another cost: reputation within your career. And, and maybe you're not thinking that at the time, but but thinking about all these risks and all these costs, my point is the benefit must be huge to, to endure that kind of risk. These are not stupid people. Again, easy to call them stupid now that they got caught, but these are not stupid well, people. And is it the benefit or the perceived benefit? And I think we'll get into that as sure. well. Um, so, you know, are, are they paying this price to appease a spoiled child? No. No, it's not worth it's not worth the risk. These these kids, although privileged, have been told no before. We we know what parenting is like. It's difficult sometimes, and you say yes more than you want to sometimes. Right. But but no, you're not going to take that kind of risk to to just appease a kid. Right? Are they are they getting a superior education no, by doing this? No offense to any college person listening, but I seriously doubt that. Mm. No, it's it's not like the cheaters are failing out. It's not like they can't handle it. They got in under uh, not their own merits, and they're still fine. And, and I believe that anyone with resources can get a degree. I was one of those people. My parents helped me. I had resources, and I got a degree. It's when the resources are drained that you really have to work for it. Right. And, and that's, that's a ph- philosophical kind of feeling toward education for me. But again, that's not what they're paying for. So they already have the resources. So then what, what, what is it? What, what's the motivation? Two main things. The benefits that are worth the investment. It's social capital for a lifetime. I have a degree from this school. 
You can never take that away. Any conversation, any job interview, anything you ever have, you can say, I have a degree from this school. That's worth the money for mm-hmm. the parent and the student. You know, parents parents like to like to say that my kid got into this and my kid is going here and there. Uh, the other the other benefit is networking for a lifetime. All you think of it that way, it's not just a spoiled kid, it's not a better school. It is you are you are buying a lifetime of connection and social capital. And in my opinion, that and only that is worth it. And that's that's what that's what the parents are paying for. That's why they take these risks. It's the only thing I can I can see that that matters in this case. Right. So let's start by by breaking all of this down, um, and let's start with getting into testing. So are we ready to to start talking about testing? Almost. Let's take a quick break and hit testing. Welcome back, folks, to Get Schooled by Rees and Ford. Um, it still just baffles me, just really quick before we get started. I sent you the link, I think, to a CNN article the day that this came out. Yeah, Tuesday morning at 11. It, it just it, it, it amazes me how quickly this story boomed. I mean, it, oh, it was nuts. My my group of affiliate presidents, the my, my class, right? They were texting as a group back and forth the entire day. We had a guy get on and say, "I come back to my phone and I have 117 text messages," but it it blew up in every circle I had. Right. So I, there's not a news outlet out there. I'm convinced that has not reported on this. That's why we have uh, to. That, that's why we were talking about it. So. Let's start by talking about how the the testing cheating side of things oh, yeah. worked. Let's do it. Okay. So step one involves getting extended time for the ACT or SAT. Now, just to kind of explain, um, we're talking a hundred percent extra time, or what you might call double time. Um, and for students who receive double time, they don't test on a Saturday. Okay. Uh, they, if you if you happen to be listening and you don't know, the ACT and SAT are, are administered normally on select Saturdays throughout the school year. Um, but for students who get double time, they go through, on the ACT side at least, they go through the special testing program, which allows them more time than can be given on a Saturday, involves multiple days uh, to take the test. Uh, so it's a little bit of a different program. And generally a one-on-one test setting right where one proctor sits with one student one student okay so that's the that's the first step you've got to get extended time from the testing agency Um, a quote from from singer it's important to go for both in case one denies you so it doesn't really matter whether we get it from an act or sat we've just got to get it from somebody do you just sign up for extended time or what do you how do you get that so a lot of times you have to, as, as the counselor, you have to upload documentation. Um, so, you know, medical documentation. Um, if a student has an accommodation plan of some type, you would upload that, um, you know, to, to kind of offer proof that it's needed. And then they evaluate that and then they decide yes right. or no. So if, so if you get denied, then the idea is to try again. So you have to wait, say, a few months. 
four months. Then find somebody who is willing to fill out this supposed medical documentation again. Upload it again. Keep applying. Keep applying. The idea, the implication was after a couple of attempts, you'll almost always get approved. Okay. Um, if the high school starts asking questions, then the parents have to kind of tell them how it is, get a little angry, you know. In this uh, case. In this case. Not in a normal not case. Not a normal case. <laughs> in this case. Um, but they, they would get angry. They would say, this is, this is what's got to happen. Um, this is what the psychologist signed off on. Um, and eventually, after enough applications, um, enough attempts, you get approved for special testing. Okay, so that's step one. Uh, Chris? What do you do from that? Step two, change your test center. Special testing is done generally at your homeschool. So it'll come in the mail. That counselor will, will email the parent and say, hey, I've got your kid's test. What days would you like to do it? And the parents need to change it to a corrupt test site, which would either be in West Hollywood at the West Hollywood Test Center or there was one in Houston that was basically corrupt. But what you've got to do as a parent is then lie to the counselor at the high school about needing to go to a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a college visit. You tell your counselor that they have to do it on a weekend. Whatever it takes to get them to call ACT or SAT back and say, my student is going to take it at this particular site. So then uh, West Hollywood Test Center, for example, has an inside man. Uh, we'll call him Igor, because it was Igor. Igor Dvorsky. Igor Dvorsky. He accepts the student. So the request comes around. He's corrupt. He accepts the student, telling SAT or ACT that he's down. They can take the test there. Igor then hires, because the test center supervisors that we were, we were responsible for hiring our proctors. He hires... Mark Riddell, who lives in Tampa, which is quite a long commute to hire a proctor for your ACT or SAT. But hey, it's a $10,000 weekend for Mark Riddell. Uh, and Igor gets paid too, at least $10,000. And now it's getting set up. So now we have the parent, the unknowing, somehow unknowing student, Igor, Mark, all in the same place, which was great for surveillance, by the way, uh, when, when, when all of this uh, came out in the open and they let it roll for a while, uh, who, who was all in the room where it happens. Yes, I meant that. So how does it happen now? So there were really, I noticed, two separate processes that were used depending on the situation. Um, the, the less common one was that Riddell would actually help the students as they that were was, Yeah, that was the less common. It happened a couple common. times, right. and the kids obviously knew about that right. because they were working together. But for the kids, the majority of them that didn't know, so they would take this test, and um, they'd have the extra time, the multiple days, the one-on-one -on -one with the proctor. They would finish the test. They would leave, just like every kid does when they test. I hope I did really well today. Right. I tried my hardest. And then here's the crazy part, because in some of these conversations, they would predetermine what score they were going to achieve for the student. Oh, yeah. And then Riddell would bubble in the answers or correct the answers or, or whatever what he needed to what do. do. You, want? you want 31? We get you 31. You want 33? We get you 33. And there was even one conversation where they were talking about 
they couldn't have too much of an increase because then it would red flag that maybe something. Yeah, they went from a 20 to a 24. Right. And then took the 24 and paid again and then, to get to the 28. So it cost you double to gain that much. But, but you don't have the drastic increase that might cause suspicion. Because ACT will flag it. Right. They'll flag it because they do try to prevent cheating. No matter what people say about ACT and SAT, College Board, uh, they do have instruments in place that right. try to prevent the cheating. Okay. So then they submit the, the test. ACT or SAT grades it. Boom. The student magically has achieved this score. Mom and dad are so proud. The kid is ecstatic. And you've got the score that you, quote, unquote, <laughs> yeah. achieved. Exactly. And, and I, I like when they were doing this sort of live surveillance because they would document and uh, CW2 leaves two hours later every single time. CW2 leaves two hours later after the exam had been turned in. Generally, uh, proctors leave like seven seconds after it's over. So two hours obviously gave and, him time. And, and if you're a test supervisor, you know, you're, you're finishing up paperwork to mail back. And then you don't you you don't want to be there. No, you don't want to be there any longer. No, no. In thirty minutes, you're you're, you're UPS or uh, or FedEx. Let's keep speaking of scores. I have a score I want to add up. Let's keep score of all the lies that had to be told just to make this happen. Right. And, and it has it has a thought with with this guy's business with Singer's business. I mean, not that I've ever lied before, but theoretically, if I had, can you imagine? Spending your entire business just covering up lies. Right. Like every phone call, everything you do, oh, no, just say this. Oh, no, just say that. I can imagine, like, constant cell phone, like an athlete agent or something, you know, constantly on the phone, covering up lie after lie. Lie number one, you lie to your child. Lie number two, you lie to your child's school. Lie number three, you lied to ACT and SAT. Lie number three, you probably four. lied. Four. Oh, sorry. Yeah, there's just so many you can't keep track. Lie number four, you lie to a psychologist, uh, unless you bribe them too, but then the psychologist is also lying, so we'll count that as lie four. You lied to the colleges who get these scores because the admissions office has to trust what comes from the testing agency. These scores right. are coming, and as you know, and, and a lot of our listeners do, the scores most of the time come directly from the testing agency to the institution. Right. Lie six... You lied to the federal government and all Americans because you cheated on your taxes, because you made your payment to a nonprofit, which then allowed you to reduce your income taxes. And you, Thanks. you cheated a student who could have gotten into the school that was qualified the right way. Now you've cheated them out of a we'll potential count seat. We'll count that. Seven lies. Seven deadly sins. Seven lies. I don't know if that's parallel at all. That's a lot. But it's still a lot. That's a lot. Dude, let's read part of the conversation between Singer and a parent named Kaplan. Uh, we need to show these people just how these conversations went. And, and so, just so you know, this will be actually um, two different conversations. Um, Kaplan, the, the defendant in this case, was a resident of Greenwich, Connecticut in New York, New York. He's an attorney. He's an attorney. I will be playing the role of Kaplan for today's exercise. And, and he's the co-chairman of an international law firm based in New York. Wow, I'm okay. pretty successful. So, and, and, and so a lot of these conversations are going on really within the past year. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got Kaplan, 
and you've got Singer, um, who's running again this whole organization. Right. And and it works every time. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I did thirty of them at different you know dates because there's different dates, and they're they're all families like yours, and they're all kids that wouldn't have performed as well. And then they did really well, and it was like the kids thought, and it was so funny because the kids will call me and say, maybe I should do that again. I did pretty well, and if I took it again, I'll do even better, right? And they just have no idea that they didn't even get the score that they thought they got. Wow. You know. Off character. Uh, wow. So so then here's here's another excerpt from, the, from a conversation with these two. Um, so, and here's Singer talking to Kaplan. So here's the first thing we need to do, and I think I mentioned this to your wife. We need to get your daughter tested for a learning difference. Here's why. If she gets tested for a learning difference, and let's say it's my person that does it, or whoever you want to do it, I need that person to get her 100% extended time over multiple days. So what that means is we'll have to show that there's some discrepancies in her learning, which there's got to be anyways. And if she gets 100%, Gordon, then I own two schools. I can have her test at one of my schools, and I can guarantee her a score. If it's ACT, I can guarantee her a score in the, in the 30s. And if it's the SAT, I can guarantee her a score in the 1400s. Now, all of a sudden, her test score does not become an issue with all the colleges because she's strong enough. Then, if we clean up her transcript, then her ability, with her athletic ability and her testing and her getting better at school, it's much easier to get her into school because you're not fighting huge obstacles at the types of schools you're talking about. Now, if we do that, there's a financial consideration that you have to pay to the school to get this done because this is absolutely unheard of to make this happen. I can make scores happen, and nobody on the planet can get scores to happen. She won't even know that it happened. It will happen as though she will think that she's really super smart and she got lucky on a test and you got a score now. There's lots of ways to do this. I can do anything and everything if you guys are amenable to doing it. Okay, so let me understand the two components. What is the what what is the number? So the number the number at Cornell for instance. Well, well hold on a second. The number on the testing is $75,000, okay? It's 75000 to get any test scores you would like to get on the SAT or ACT. Okay, that's... Explain to me how it works. I, I just explained it to you. You get extended time. You got to get the extended time first. Then you're going to fly to L.A., and you're going to be going on a fake recruiting visit. You'll visit some schools while you're out here in L.A. And then on a Saturday, which is a national test day if it's ACT or SAT, she's going to sit down and take the test. I'll have a proctor in the room. That's why. When you have 100% extended time, you have you get to take it. You don't take it with everybody else. You get to take it over multiple days, and then you get to take it at a. You can take it at your school or another school. Okay, and then this kid, because she's taking online classes, you'll have to go somewhere anyway. So you come to my school, take the test on a Saturday. She'll be in the room for six, six and a half hours during this test. My proctor would then answer her questions, and by the end of the day, she would leave, and my proctor would make sure that she would get a score that would be equivalent to the number that we need to get. Okay. That's how simple it is. She doesn't know. Nobody knows what happens. It happened. She feels great about herself. She got a test score, and now you're actually capable for help getting into a school because the test score is no longer an issue. Does that make sense? That does. Wow. Unbelievable. 
that's 200-something pages of stuff like that. So, again, we encourage you to read that if you're interested. And, and you know, it, I guess I guess my laugh doesn't come from – it comes from a situation where you can almost laugh or cry, so I just choose to laugh, and that's kind of how I operate in my life. But it leads to so many implications we would like to discuss. I'd like to start by just saying I think of advantages on testing as a spectrum. This is simply – the far end of the spectrum, right. and and it's the disgusting, sick end of the spectrum, to be honest. But but and it's what's fascinated people about the case. But it's just so far on the spectrum that it's it's ridiculous. But there are other ways that students can end up with with better scores, and and this is up for debate, of course. But in in our minds, I think I could probably speak for both of us. But but if not, Joel, step in. Uh, being in a better zip code. Being in a better school system, those are advantages. Students in better schools, better zip codes will have higher ACT or SAT scores. Um, better classes and access to APs, uh, AP classes. So better curriculum within those schools. So not only do not, not only do do people with the means end up in in quote unquote better schools, but within schools they oftentimes end up in in better classes. And, and we don't have the time in this podcast to go into depth on how right. that happens. And, and maybe we will on future podcasts. But And then paying outside of your school for academic tutors, specifically testing tutors, and even test prep classes at various levels of intensity. All of those benefits fit on a spectrum that, 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 that gets scores higher for students. And, and part of that... and and I'm, I know I'm dominating this part of the conversation right now and, and take it wherever you want to, Joel, but it's it's part of why schools are choosing colleges are choosing to be test optional. Right. Because they want to find more fair ways to to deal with this. On one hand, and I will shut up in a second, but on one hand, you've got kind of the one final way to compare students across the nation with the same test as opposed to every school having different grades, whether they grade hard or grade inflation or whatever. And on and, and in one hand, you want to use the test to compare similar students. Across apples to apples. Apples to apples. At the same time, it really isn't apples to apples. It's, it's, it's we don't even know who, what it is. Who knows what your, your background, experience, access level, all of those things that can, can be factors before you even sit down to take the test. Right. I mean, does a college want someone who has overcome obstacles, and who knows how to fight for themselves compared to someone who never had to fight an obstacle in their whole life. Right. Who's going to be more successful in life, in the future? Who's going to be more successful when they hit their next obstacle? And well, and I think that's to go back to what you just said, these colleges that are becoming test optional are starting to say, okay, these potential students are more than just a number. This, this yeah. one test score yeah. number does not fully define who a person is or what they're capable of, of becoming in college. And it, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't. It should be a piece. Right. But this is where the, this, it is a piece in these schools, and that's where it's getting rigged. But, but I, can, I can tell you that the number still matters so much. Mm-hmm. I, I, had a, I had a school this year tell me, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I had a counselor call with, with this school, and, and they, just, they, they told me that, you know, my student who I really promoted um, wasn't, wasn't reading as well as I had hoped they'd be reading. And, and this person is of the utmost highest character. And when I heard not reading well, 
and then told me that another student who applied was reading well, it was the number, just the number. Right. That was it. And, and both, 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 both kids are awesome. Awesome. Don't get me wrong there. But don't tell me one is reading well and one's not reading well. And the only difference is, is, is the number. So I don't, sometimes I don't care what they say. I know what they're looking for. Well, and I don't, I don't know who the two students are at all, obviously. But right. you can't tell me that a, a student who maybe is a point or two lower than somebody else is going to be a complete failure in life because they missed three or four more questions on one test. You, you no, know what I mean? No, and that goes back to what our second episode was going to be before before this happened, which are college rankings. Right. And I'm already we have that episode prepared, and I'm already absolutely fired cost, up and ready. To go. Yeah, maybe the cussing will begin. Yeah. in our in our fourth episode, our second regular episode. Right. Since we're in a special episode right I, now, I think something else to think about is. You know, because a lot of this centered around extended time, special testing, yeah, yeah. Um, getting medical statements and, and things. You know, what do the testing agencies do now? Um, do they tighten up the, the procedures to apply for um, accommodations for tests? Um, I hope not. I hope not. It's, I have a kid right now. We, he, this kid needs some accommodations on AP. We've tried twice on the third try, more documentation. Is sometimes difficult to get, and if they tighten that up, there there, there will be students who are casualties. Of right. this. I, I'd like to hopefully think of this as as a one off, and and keep keep going the, the direction they're going and providing correct accommodations for students who need it. Right, and then I guess finally, back to the testing agencies. Um, what impact could this could all of this potentially have on them? Um, do do the the their roles become less important in the college admissions process? Do they become more important? Um, how does that all play out? I don't, all I know is this. College Board and ACT, they, they get brutalized in our profession. They get brutalized. And I'm, and I'm not suggesting there are so many things they do that they don't deserve it. Right. At the same time, they, they really get beat up. But I, they do have fairness policies and procedures. The question is, is that, is that even possible? I mean, you're talking about security issues uh, all over the place, and, and notably uh, overseas testing. Mm. And it, there are all kinds of, of issues that come up with test security. Is it even possible to guarantee test security? People will cheat to find a way. Uh, in fact, I, this whole case shows me that people will use what they have to gain an advantage in life. This is a tangent, but I will go there. If I have the means to buy a fast pass to get in head of line at Disney World, and I have that, and I have enough money to pay for that, I'm going to pay an extra hundred or whatever it costs to do that. Right. Then I'm probably going to do that. And I'm not minimizing what happened in this college scandal, but what I'm suggesting is that when you have the means, you use it to your advantage. If I have a friend in admissions at at Center, and I just want to put in a good word for my kid then I'm going to call and put in a good word. I'm going to use my network. I'm going to use my means. And people will do that. People will do but, that. But the difference in that is you're having a conversation with someone you know legitimately and giving information that's legitimate about your student. Right. You're not well, falsifying information, test scores, athletic participation, all of the stuff that was going on here. Right. And we... 
you know, we need to let the legal system handle things. At the same time, I have this feeling that with all of the talk about wealth and privilege, that it just might be another example of how wealth and privilege uh, can can help you. And, and we'll see. Right. We'll see. I mean, I, I hope, you know, I hope these people... Eight outtakes. Observations, face rakes, absurdities, tragedies. And so, listeners, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back for the top eight, maybe the bottom eight... Bottom eight. Um, ...impacts and stories from this scandal. But first, eight of our outtakes. Number one, the poor University of San Diego, only school in the affidavit not listed as highly selective. They are only selective. Oh, I've been there. It's a palace. It's beautiful. But I hope this does not hurt their self-esteem. Number two, Homayun Zadeh, who's a dentist and a professor at USC, had to beg Singer to pay in monthly installments. He even refinanced his house. For everybody else in this affidavit, it seems like chump change. He couldn't afford it, did what he had to do. Tragic. That was tragic. But he made a poor choice, that's for sure. That's, number, that's true. Yeah. Number three, Rick Singer, otherwise forever known as CW1 in my mind, was forced as a part of his plea deal to call his old clients back and lie to them about an audit of his nonprofit to get them to admit what they did. All remember for a possibility of leniency. Remember that time we lied about cheating? Those were uh, good times, weren't they? Oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we're not going to talk about that. Let's get our story straight. Okay, got it. Boom. Confession. Every time. What a sleaze. Number four, CW2, Mark Riddell can get any score he wants on an ACT, SAT, SAT subject test. You want a particular score, this man knows exactly how to answer uh, to get that particular score. It's amazing. He played tennis at Harvard. Maybe he should have taken an ethics class while he was in college. Maybe he did. Maybe someone took it for him. <laughs> Maybe he failed it. Maybe. That's true. Yeah. Number five, I just have to say this. The FBI agent filling the affidavit, filing the affidavit is a badass. That's all. That's it. Number six. Let's talk about Igor Dvorsky and Nikki Williams. Remember, Igor is at West Hollywood. Nikki is at the test site in Houston. They made good money compromising their test centers, but they can they survive the legal system as well as the clients? Um, we're about to see how wealth plays out in the legal system, too. I shouldn't have jumped on that for you <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Number seven. The... Biggest, the biggest jerks were the ones laughing about how awesome this was. So in the affidavit, when you guys do decide to read it, you'll see in quotes, laughing. Like when we read the script earlier and laughed, it's because it said laughing in quotes. And and they literally would laugh about how great it was to be getting away with this. They are just the worst. And really, I thought of it as like, this is just another hashtag winning moment uh, for, for these people. And then number eight, um, probably one of the most famous um, people in this whole scandal, Lori Laughlin, Aunt Becky to all of us who watched Full House back in the day. 
her daughter, Olivia Jade, who's pretty famous on the internet, doesn't even didn't, doesn't even seem to really care about college. Well, she said that. You know, she she's in it for the parties, if she's got to go, kind of thing. So they they paid all this money for their daughter, who doesn't even care really about going to college in the first place. No, maybe that proves my point earlier <laughs> that they, they they parents wanted to pay for those those two things. Um, I I don't I don't remember getting invited to college parties, but I'm sure I'm sure they were awesome, <laughs> especially at USC. All right, folks, that's it. Not much going on in college admissions. Pretty pretty slow news day. That's pretty slow news day. We hope you will listen to our next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford as we talk about more cheating, lies, and scandal. Thanks for spending time with us. See you guys next time. Should we do that after a break? No. Should we?